All right, guys, welcome back to The Property Pod, your weekly engagement into real estate here in the Hobart Marketplace. I'm your host, Aaron Horn, and I'm joined at the desk by a savvy crew of real estate agents and financial advisors and king of all things Hobart and Tasmania. I've got Johnny Mack, his old man, Chris McGregor, and Andrew Leggett joining me here again on The Property Pod. Welcome, boys. Howdy, gentlemen. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Did I get your title right? What am I meant to call you? No. Uh. Broker. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Not broker. a financial advisor. No. What do they What do? they do? Um, advise on super. Yeah. yeah. Crap. I'm way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Started, started week, but we'll get there. We're we'll going to have a, a really in-depth discussion today and we'll have a bit of fun with it. Mm. Pat is away. I don't know if anyone's been out there watching, but Pat's... Um, if you're following him on Instagram or any of those things, it looks like he's having an absolute blast of a time out there in the wild, wild west. Oh, that caravan that they've got would be awesome. It's an absolute monster. Yeah, no, just looking at them, at kind of them crossing. Well, they're not even the west yet, or I don't, maybe they're not even getting to the west. They had to make some changes because of uh, weather conditions. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I heard that his, um, his, what are the bit that sits out the front that's like your awning? Mm-mm. It almost took off like a sail oh. and ended up in Antarctica, so... Yeah, very interesting times for our boy. <laughs> um, I have heard that Abby still won't listen to it, even though they're driving kilometres and kilometres. Um, you know, just put some headphones on, either tune out entirely or fall asleep. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what Marcus and um, Kirsten do. They're listening in their car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're putting them to sleep every week. <laughs> <laughs> Not driving, obviously. No. Yeah, I, know, I was sort of wondering how much fuel he's going through. Well, I sent him some fuel jokes the other day. It's just making him feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> All right, boys. So let's jump into some um, property-related stuff today. What we were hoping to talk about was this kind of days on market trend and how things are heading um, south on that um, thing. Well, that's what I think is happening. I'd, I'd really like your input on on kind of what's happening out there with um, yeah days on market and what it means for buyers out there in the local Hobart marketplace. Yeah, well, I guess when the, we talk about days on market, it's really from the day it's active till under contract. That's why I'm sure a lot of people that have been buying in Tasmania, especially over the last two years, have just been, you know, have found when they've even called up five minutes after they've seen the property on the internet, they're like, oh, it's already under contract. Sorry about that. Or, of course, going under contract before going to the first open home. So it's that real pressure of people just not being able to even visit a property in time um, to even, one, get a look in and two, submit an offer. Yeah. So is there anything that's kind of led us to this point where if you're not kind of on all the apps and on all the realestate.com straight away um, and you, you, you're missing your opportunity, like the window seems so small, mm. um, is there a reason that that's kind of what's happening in the marketplace or is, is it kind of? What, yeah, how, how, is, how, how, is, how is it that, yeah, how well, can you win? In many ways, it's actually uh, in line with our the process that we engage in in Tasmania specifically. Um, other states do it, but we don't do a lot of properties that sell by auction. Because generally speaking, um, our we're measured by days on market, whereas Victoria and Sydney, for example, might measure theirs by auction clearance rates. Because an auction clearance rate's going to an auction's going to be advertised over a campaign of about three to four weeks. Yep. So there's time obviously in between a visit and then you're making your bidding on the day. Whereas ours is what's called a private treaty. So you advertise by an advertised price. There's no set time frame in which the property can go under contract, and so therefore then it's up to the just the agent and the owner um, connecting the property with a buyer and then securing a deal and that can happen you know you can have a days on market of five minutes if you wanted to because you know it's like i'm looking to sell there's a contract done yeah okay sure um whereas an auction's going to be over a set time frame so 
Good to see, Dad. When we prior to the you know the the verge of the internet, and you've seen you know hot and cold markets even before then. Um, what was a, you know an average expectation for buyers and sellers of how long the property would take to sell, and what did you do to move it faster? Um, a lot of it depends on what um, suburb you're talking about. Like mm. areas like Hove, in, in a city, the um, um, there's always like we were using the open home um, strategy, and in the city, of course, they'd get 10, 15, 20 people coming to the open home. We're out in the northern suburbs. We'd be, you know, if we got one or two, we'd say we had a great day. Yeah, and it was really, really different uh, kind of kind of market. Mm-hmm. And the, in those days, also too, I mean, if a property had been on the market, for, had been on the market for a while, um, and then it was a case of looking at its its generally its price. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd certainly looked at its marketing, but if if the marketing was good and the presentation was great, and it's still sitting on the market for a while. Then you really have to have a crucial conversation with the owners to, to talk about price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a strategy that one agent used many years ago was uh, under another system, and they said when it was one of those real tough markets, and they guaranteed that the house could, they could sell a house in eighteen days. And a lot of people looked at it and thought, "Gee, that'd be great." But what the strategy was, they just reduced the price every day till they hit the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And, um, and and then it would do it. But I mean, it, it, that strategy didn't last all that long. But a lot of it. And then there's a friend of mine in LA. He, he always he's always said to me, he runs a, a huge Remax office with 150 salespeople, and he he said to me, "There's nothing about real estate that price cannot cure," and that mm. is quite true. Mm. I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah, I, I do. I have, I have uh, specifically quoted Dad's mate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Julie with a thick, thicker uh, accent. I was going to say, yeah, your dad didn't go into any of the accent work that you generally do, John. But um, no, was, I've, I have heard that before, so it obviously sticks and obviously works. It's his birthday around now, too. Well, I, actually, we um, this was an interesting one. So, um, anecdotally in the market, what we're seeing is that I've, we find there's a bit of a um, demand disparity, you could say, where. We just um, had one in Glenorchy, which was a really a true renovator, and that went absolutely bonkers, you know, comparatively, let's say. But, you know, 20, 20, 20 25 people through the open, open home. Um, there was, you know, I think seven or eight offers, um, and, you know, it was really, really popular. Yep. Then at the highest end we've got in, you know, in the same suburb, you've got the property that's absolutely immaculate. So there's not, you know, you're moving straight away. There's nothing you need to do. So you're really buying time where you can just move into it and enjoy the property, you know. Off, you know, off the show. Yep. Right in this middle zone of where it's not tr- a true renovator, you know, people don't get super excited by the decor. It's this sort of middle run where also, you know, your, you know, the prices have increased dramatically for them. So, you know, there is a little pocket in the market at the moment where the it's not gangbusters on in every every aspect. Um, and I'm just curious to see, Andrew, what that looks like from a lending perspective of the challenges you're having from the, the lower middle to upper. Into the market, <clears throat> yeah, it has been. That actually has been a bit of a challenge. Where I've had a few examples recently of some first home buyers have they've looked at a property and they've said, "Well, I'm going to need fifty hundred grand to throw at it. Mm. Can we sort that out after settlement?" And the short answer is no, no, because <laughs> <laughs> they're already you know max lending ninety five percent of purchase price, so there's no equity to borrow against it. And so we've sort of got to go down the line of um, on completion. So they've got to go mm. and get plans and specs from a builder and get the property valued as if the work has been done. 
Yeah, uh, and then it's a drawdown sort of scenario, like a construction loan, and not all, not every time. If you're spending fifty, it's not adding fifty grand. Yeah, yeah, to the overall valuation of the property. So it, it is tough, but there are people out there that have, you know, they're cashed up and they're in the position to buy the ones that need a bit thrown at it mm-hmm. because they've got the money behind them. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's the the tricky spot. Like thinking of myself when I jumped into the market here, which again, looking at my plan was jumping in, um, purchasing a place and doing some things like, you know, knocking a wall out or, um, you know, updating the kitchen and all these things. When I got into the market, I was in a position where, um, you know, it was at a $300,000, $400,000 price range where it was like, oh, my um, budget allows me to have that little bit of extra cash to fix up the place. Yeah. But if I was trying to do it now, I'd be like, oh crap, I'm gonna have to wait another five or six years before I can rebuild the cash flow to then put that back into this place again, which is then probably mm. at the stage where it's time to move the house on. Yeah. And I haven't yep. actually got anywhere. Yeah. And I think that yours is a exact point of those that where you were yeah. now have a, a re- that's the market that's probably the potentially the, the most that's suffering of slowing down, I yep. guess. Not that the prices have softened, that's not what we're saying, but just that it's a little bit, takes a little bit longer because I suppose if, if you'd have your time again, Aaron, you're thinking, well, if I have to extend my budget, stuff it. I'll just find a way of paying a little bit more and not have to worry about um, all that time wasted in renovating a house because, one, you know, it's going to take another, yeah, like you said, five to ten years to have that money and in that time you're not enjoying the house anyway. Yeah, yeah. So... so it um yeah it's it's a really interesting little anecdotal small part. I know in the the notes we're preparing, they had obviously a few interviews from you know a local agent, um, a different property economist, and I think the chief economist from the Way Ray White Group as well. Um, and I think one of the uh, one of the notes that they um had all referenced, I guess, was the demand that Tasmania is currently under. And I know I gave you boys the REIT statistics and highlighted a couple of years specifically, wherein you look at 2003 and 2021. So these two years are the, the two fastest selling years that obviously we've got since 1996 with our stats. Before that, we don't know. But what's really interesting, though, is that you know the median days on market in um, for Sandy Bay in, in 2003, we'll, we'll use Glenorchy because it's even faster. Um, so Glenorchy was 13 days and there was 228 sales. Yep. Now the, the days on market they've said is 15, which is probably about the same, so 7 to 14, um, but there's 77 sales. So we've got just as much pent-up demand, um, that, but there's like less than half the properties available for people to purchase. So when we looked, there was another thing we looked at too, is that there's, you know, re, re-resurgence from you know, the REIT have said that um, – in this state as a whole, there's about an average of 20% people moving from interstate. So be it investors all moving in, yep. um, that number has normally sat around about 15. So that, that so does an increase there an as increase well. Again, yeah. Yep. Now, I remember you telling me something interesting, Dad, about what happened before the first boom of um, back in the late 90s and moving into the early 2000s of the difference of what people were doing. Because you said there's a lot of investor stock getting, it was hard to move on. Was that right? Um, what happened before, just before the boom, a lot of properties were um, getting very hard to sell. So what happened was a lot of people, if they, they got transferred for uh, for reasons for employment, whatever, family, to go to the uh, mainland, I mean, in the end they just put them into rentals right, and uh, moved on. And then, of course, when the boom came, it gave the people a chance, all of a sudden an opportunity to, to offload yeah. um, a property that they had in in, in – um, 
uh, into the rental departments that they didn't want in there and, and sold them. So they created a lot of stock in those particular at that particular time for that reason. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a lack of being able to um, to move some properties. Mm. A lot of it is because the um, the owners wouldn't accept a particular price. I mean, every house will sell mm. if you you know read read the market. Sure. But um, a lot of them were prepared to sell at a certain price range, and they just put them into the rental market. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, again, looking at the, um, we can have these in the show notes, obviously, but in 1996 in Glenorchy, there were 120 sales. In 2003, there were 228 sales. And then back into 2000, you know, 2021, you know, as of September, there was 77 recorded sales. We're assuming it's going to be 100. Yeah, know, if you if you kind of equate it out to the end of the year, that's probably a safe number to guess. Absolutely. So, I mean, but that's so interesting because last time when the, you know, the prices doubled, there was way more properties available, whereas the environment's just completely different this time around. You know, you think the amount of stories of people just getting stuck because they can't move sideways, um, you know, there's, you know, a lack of, of you know, there's not enough properties to rent you know you know there's holiday accommodation these days you know we've got a population growth we didn't have it back then so when i um i went into a bit of a deep dive this morning so i thought yeah i'm gonna just go stat heavy um so i had like the you know year the median the cash rate the highest lowest variable rate all a bunch of stuff and then i sat there and tried to ch- talk through my friend and i was just lost in the, lost in the weeds <laughs> so well, let's, let's not bring that here because you know it's um there's just so many different factors to it and i think one of the good things that when we interviewed simon presley a uh, couple of weeks ago he said supply and demand's not enough um, I just can't remember the way that he expanded on that, you know. Cause the the one thing I really took away from that one was when he mentioned how um, population growth is babies. Babies aren't buying properties. Yes. So, like, population growth isn't really a major factor in all of that. Mm. Um, there's just so many other factors um, that, yeah, lead you down that garden path of, yeah, what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, from, from a lender's perspective, Andrew, like, if you know the the old there was this thing that was the CBA had said oh look they would expect a correction once interest rates rise you know so that might have an effect on days on market price you name it that's for people much smarter than us from a practical perspective what might happen if um, all of a sudden um, yeah the interest rates increase well it's going to affect uh, borrowing capacity first right. and foremost um, so when we do as of as I've touched on in the, in in the past. When we're assessing the deal, we're adding that's the ceiling rate. So it's, we're assessing at a higher interest rate. So right. if the rate goes up, loans become harder to service. Mm. Um, and so that's it's probably going to make a bit of a shift in the market in that someone who was looking at a $600,000 property now needs to come back a, back a peg, which might trigger some vendors having to just sort of readjust their expectations mm. because the market sort of has downshifted. But... With the uh, the latest increase in the assessment rate, we've not really seen too much of that. So what's the assessment rate, just to clarify? Um, so it's a buffer that's added to the advertised rate. So mm-hmm. when we work out what someone can borrow, we're not working it out on a on a 1.99%. Mm. We're looking at uh, in the fives. Mm. Okay. You add about 3%, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So it's just, yeah, it, it's, if yeah, you're already um, accounting for that, Future potential change. That's right. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And I've had a few people that have been concerned because I've heard, oh, you know, what's going to happen when the rates go up? Well, mm. can I afford this? Well, yes, because we've assessed at a higher rate. Mm. So we know that you're good up to this level. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So when they, when you said they increased the assessment rate, um, obviously before that you didn't have to have as a bigger buffer. Now you've got a bigger buffer and you haven't really noticed too much yet. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't really affect the borrowing capacity too much in a lot of people. There are a few customers that were sort of already on the line mm. at the pointy end already. 
Uh, but, but for someone that is really in a good, solid financial position, it might have meant that their borrowing capacity has reduced by 30, 40 grand. Yeah, yeah. Um, not, not so much a big deal. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I know like in that, these little things we said, you know, in 2003, the, that, the standard variable said 5.6%. In 2008, it got as high as 8.62%, so quite a fair jump. And now, obviously, it's all the way down to one8 So it's like money's never been cheaper, you could say. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So the concerning thing is if rates go back up to the, that 8 mark. Mm, in theory, yeah. Add the 3% buffer on top, or th- mm. 3.5%, it's going to really really reduce a lot of borrowing capacity for a lot of um, you know hard-working mums and dads. Yeah, yeah, especially for people that have really stretched themselves to the absolute limit just to secure uh, secure property in that sense, eh? Yeah, that's right. Well, be, you know, for, from here on in then, you know, like there's still so much pent-up demand for property from, you know, young people and at every sort of age bracket locally. Who knows? You know, I can't comment on that, you know, Australia-wide. But, well, just like mm. just looking at some of these notes that we've got here, the um, – as of this November, data from realestate.com reveals 87.5 of Australia's fastest-selling suburbs are all located in Hobart. Like, Jesus. that's just insane. So speaking to, like, what Simon's been saying, is like the property market here is so hot. Mm. Um, and, yeah, each of these areas has a medium time on market of um, a figure, like, of seven to nine days. So one week and it's gone. So one week and it's gone. So you've got to be in and out. Like, just I'm just going to run through some of these here. Like, seven yeah. days median on market, Lena Valley. Uh, Mount Stewart, Seven Mile Beach. So that's all here. Uh, Eight days. Oak Downs, North Hobart. Then it jumps to Cambridge Gardens, which is in Sydney. Mm. Uh, But then again, South Hobart, Old Beach, Rosney. Nine days. We've got Chigwell, Margate, Moona, Cressy, Lena Valley, um, Eshole Park, and other parts in Sydney. So, like, just going through all of this, like, these are, um, yeah, seven to to nine days and it's gone all um, across yeah, Tassie. It's just insane how fast everything is moving. Oh, look, and I'd just be so fascinated to see um, what is what will be the the effect this time round um, in Tasmania if thing if people stop buying property and stop moving sideways. You know, like um, what would that mean for the amount of people selling? What what that means for the days on market? Or um, you know, it's just because I guess the landscape now is so vastly different than it was. You know, twenty years ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm. Like when I first got into the uh, into the industry, I can remember seeing a lot of properties where we'd have to check in the valuation report if it had a selling period greater than six months. Right. The, the bank wouldn't like a property yeah, that had sat there for that long and hadn't moved. Yeah, and so mm. we'd have to make sure that the property hasn't been listed for more than six months, or if the valuer was to deem that it would be on on the market for more than six months. Mm. It's a thing of the past at the moment. Oh, yeah, we look at those areas, Andrew, where they um, depend on the postcode. That, that bank gave a lot of harder time on postcodes yeah. to, to others. Like, for example, um, like an area like New Norfolk's postcode, that, that, that made it a lot more difficult to purchase there mm. for, for a loan because, because of where the postcode was. And um, 7030 was a, a difficult one at the time. But yeah. none of those sort of matter at the moment. Not at the moment, no. And that's mm. that's two really good examples, Chris. Um, given that, that New Norfolk postcode is such a broad area, um, someone in Sydney, they don't know what New Norfolk is. If someone's buying a residential, they're just mm. looking at the whole postcode saying, well, don't know about this one. Well, actually, well, I'd be interested to get your perspective, Dad, on. I mean, you've had to have you know, conversations with clients at every end of the market at every, you know. And and so what about, like, so what about with your sellers then? It's just like, you know, we, I was speaking with a client, yes, she said, I will not sell this house for a million dollars. She's probably not going to be going anywhere. But how do you how do you have that conversation with your, your sellers? 
when you've got a purchase that's paying a price, as you can see, it's a very good value proposition with the mm. price they're offering, and the owner says, "No, we we, we want more." And I've said to them, "If you log, for example, a house that's um five hundred thousand dollars, if you had five hundred thousand dollars burning a hole in your pocket right now, would you spend it on this house?" Mm. And they would say, "Well, no." And that's well, how do you expect anybody else to? Uh, that's really, and, and, that's and really, really, yeah, I like that. Really brings them back. Mm. Really brings them back. I feel like I'd be an unrealistic vendor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd be chasing probably too much. Uh, but that's such a great point. That's a good one to remember. And that's <coughs> we, 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 uh, John sold my house last year, and at the time, the um, 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 we got a good price for it. But you look at it today, and you think I think I could have got more. And John just said to me, "Don't, don't, don't uh, act like a vendor, Dad." Um, and that's the, that's what you got to do. You got to think, you know, uh, your mindset when you're a purchaser is very different to what the mindset of a vendor is. Mm. And uh, and it's really, I suppose, it's interesting. Like from the practitioner's perspective, we might think we're talking logically, but we're dealing in an emotional problem. And so the second we, you know, the tables are turned, and we're, you know, we're a buyer and a seller, we're straight into our emotions. Mm. And it doesn't matter how many years of experience you may have under your belt, you'd be like, nah, nah, not doing it. You know, it's uh, yeah. That's why I find it so funny when you come in and you say like a salesperson has like duped you with like your really expensive pen or your yep. really expensive scarf or your really expensive thing. You're like, oh, the salesperson got me. I'm like, you know their techniques. Yep. Like, you know all the tricks they're pulling. You know all the things they're doing, but you're just like, no, nope, they got me. They, they got me. They, <laughs> they got in here in my heart and, yep, so I bought on emotion. And it's just kind of like it's so interesting that, um, yeah, but even knowing the tricks, you still can st- – You're get, still victim to it. Yeah. That is so true, Al, because mm. people, when they're um, – Talking to an agent, they're telling them what their what their specifications are, but they're actually when they purchase, it's by motivation, yeah, yeah. or emotional uh, motivation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why I used to when you have people in the car, you, and I did that the other day for the for the first time in many years. I actually had buyers hop in the car with me. I took them to properties and showed them this is what that's going for. That's what it's going for, and then I showed them the property I wanted them to look at. And by the time they got there, they put a contract on it because this is great compared to what you've just shown us. Yeah. But you can't do that when people are just going to open homes. Mm. Or yeah. just flicking through something exactly. on a yeah. computer and being like, oh, yeah, I saw that one, I saw that one. And, yeah, often we're making the properties look their absolute best in their photos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're not actually getting a real representation of what really was there. Like we're, It's as accurate as we as it can be. Mm. But, yeah, mm. you're also dressing it up to look pretty. looks like it's going to prom. So, yeah. Chris, that must be a bit of an old-school technique. Well, an old-school technique. Worked very well. Take mm. take the take the buyers with you. Because I can remember uh, my father doing it when he was with Roberts in the early 90s because mm. the car always had to be spick and span because every day there were people in the car with him. Oh, yeah, I used to follow him and see where the houses were they were just trying to sell. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is that we haven't changed, you know. So if if people were, um, and we had it for the house at Dowsing Point, the I told them the clients about it. They said, "No, we don't like the area." I said, "Look, you're five minutes away. Drive past, and if you hate it, tell me I'm an idiot. We'll find you something else." Five, ten minutes later, they come outside. John, what do we do to buy it? Yep. You know. Oh, so oh, it's well. that. You know. We. I guess this is just had this thought: is that in these really strong markets, it's actually, you know, take all the economics element. It's just a strong emotional market. You know, people are high on emotion. Um, in these, you know, if, with the fear of missing out, which really drives these elements. So, you know, maybe then is if, if things soften, is that people are trying to just, you know, subdue their um, emotions generally to, you know, 
let themselves breathe a little bit better to, you know, take the time to make a decision. Um, but well, I guess you don't have the time to make the decision at and the that's moment. The problem, like, eh? No. Yeah. Looking yeah. here, um, Angus Moore of Prop Track Economist has basically said, yeah, buyers have to make quick decisions with limits on how many inspections and checks they can do beforehand. You've got to kind of roll the dice. Um, also saying here there are not many options for buyers to choose from. So when it comes, you've got to um, snap it up quickly. Yeah. yeah. Which all this data is, is saying. I've is. got a great example of that. Mm. So, um, one of a customer that I'd bumped into at one of your open homes, actually. Mm. I didn't even know that she was in the market and she was looking for something and she explained what she was after. I got an email yesterday. And she's purchased the polar opposite. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What she was looking for. Yep. Unconditional. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. you've gone from this extreme to this extreme. Yeah, and yeah. you've gone cash. So. And that's the reason why you show them everything. Yeah, I yeah. was thinking about mm. getting a Porsche, but then I got a Volvo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's, lo- it's a lot It's like really that. safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I heard this idea, we buy on emotion and we justify with logic later. You do. Yeah. And a lot of people do. And that's when you, people say, I want to buy this area, I don't want to look at that area. Then they've purchased an area from another agent. So you always just show them everything that you've got because um, the, the, once they get inside, the emotions will come in. And the other thing would say to them, that they're not to look at too many properties because in the end they just get house indigestion <laughs> yeah. and they, yeah. they, everything starts to look the same mm. and then they can't make a decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, be you know, I suppose then in in days in, um, that where there is limited stock, you really got to allow yourself to cast the net further and actually drive through. Don't you know? Don't eliminate it. Allow that. The maybe. Yeah, no, I really like that, John. I really like um, everything that's come up today. I think that's probably a good point to mm. um, yeah jump off the the bike and just say thank you for coming in again andrew yeah, yeah. always a pleasure i think while pat's away i'll stand in you'll stand in yeah yep. um yeah excellent to have you on board thank you thank you again chris always a pleasure to have your expertise on the property pod thank you aaron beautiful thank you john for uh just being john until next time till next time gang that's <laughs> the property gosh. pod thank you Hero, mate. You have been listening to The Property Pod, recorded and edited by 414 Media House in conjunction with 414 Property Co. This podcast is general information only and the thoughts and views expressed is the opinion of our panel and listeners should always seek their news, their own investigation into any topic we discuss to ensure they fully understand their own situation. It does not constitute and should not be relied on as purchasing, selling, financial or investment advice or recommendations expressed or implied and it should not be used as an invitation to take up any agent or investment services. No investment decision or activity should be undertaken on the basis of this information without first seeking qualified and professional